Yes, indeed. Welcome back to the Master Keys Podcast. Yes. Season two, episode Q line. Episode 21. 21. 21. All right, forever 21. Um, we'll get it right one of these days. Super excited about this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. And this is the Master Keys Podcast. Please do not forget to like, subscribe, hit the little button thing, the little bell that says you'll get alerts. It really helps us and it helps engagement. Only like 40% of you guys actually do that. Uh, maybe 41% because we've been hammering on this for the last couple episodes. Chandler gets very happy when you hit the subscribe thing. Oh, I like it. I see it. Yeah. I see it. Uh, we've got so much to talk about today. Uh, we're going to cover a wide range of topics. Um, just checking in with what the market's doing uh, coast to coast. A little bit about the literal trillions that were lost Things in the market. Things are changing. Oh, man. Uh, the, the asset wealth that has disappeared worldwide over the last month and a half, two months, three months has been unprecedented. It, it, it's crazy. So we're going to check in on that. But also we're going to go to some of the major markets that drive our national averages, specifically Vancouver, the GTA, see what's going on in the housing market there. We also have some questions from you guys about should you wait in this market? Should you go fixed or variable? All these crazy things. So we're going to give you our best advice. We are not financial advisors, yes, yes, yes. But, we're, <laughs> but we're going to try and do our best to give you what we're doing and what we think is right. But yeah, there, things are changing like crazy. A lot of you guys have reached out and been kind of concerned. So we want to we want to dive into yeah. it all. Um, so first, I think we're going to start with our usual. We're just going to give a little update on what we're up to and, and what's going on there. And then yeah. we're going to dive into this, this cross-country news. It's been a while since we've checked in on like what's going on because we've had guests and stuff, which is cool. Yeah. And we've got a guest episode coming out um, next week. Uh, which, which we're stoked on. Uh, but Neil, what's going on uh, in your life, buddy? I was really hoping you were going to ask me because even like know. the last episode that I touched on, I didn't have much going on and I'm continuing to park stuff. I mean, we're going to talk about That's why. That's important to know. We're going to talk yeah. about why in this episode, but I'm holding off on a lot of things. And like you guys probably like, if any of you listen, you remember maybe uh, mm. three, four months ago, I was trying to work on like a hundred unit lot and a 60 unit lot. And I worked on them and I would put them under contract and then I would go to builders and the prices coming back just kept getting steeper and steeper and steeper. And the financing options. That's the key. Either can, the financing options really killed it. Yeah. The financing options were not great. Um, and even then going and meeting with uh, the bankers that would offer me the financing, they were like kind of suggesting like, whoa, pump the brakes. And then mm-hmm. I'm seeing in the news that a bunch of big REITs are pumping the brakes. And I'm like, you know what? This is a good indicator for me to say, even though I'm super excited to get in and build a big building. I think being small, being just getting into it, like this building is either going to make me sink or swim. Do you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. like, I don't want, I don't want a chance sinking it. We're, we're literally in the exact same boat. Only I'm further down the, the 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 crap shoot (laughs) (laughs) than you are. You know, like my permits are in, um, my expenses, my soft costs are through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm right there. And it's a, I guess the silver lining is if I was mid construction and these rates just hit me, um, I would be in a problem situation, yep. right? Now, when you're doing pre-construction financing, anyone who hasn't gone through this yet, they build in a range of possible rate increases, right? They have to account for that because it's, it's an a two-year 18, process. Yeah, it's a two-year it's a two-year process. Yeah. Um, so they have to build in a cushion. It's similar to how they stress test people when they're applying for conventional uh, uh, residential mortgages. Um, but let's all remember that the Bank of Canada um, <laughs> said they're going they to keep fibbed. these ro- rates low. Till the end of 2023. So when you start your um, development 
18, 24 months ago, you're looking at these rates like, okay, I feel good about this. And there's a, uh, there's a, a buffer we're building in there. And that buffer evaporated in two rate increases. Do we ever think that they just made a typo when they were doing the press release from the one to a three? Oh. 2021 to 2023 I don't know. instead? I was like, <laughs> what are, I'm Ron Burgundy? Um, just misreads the thing. But, but that's how quickly it disappears. And, yeah. and I'm in the similar boat because my... I don't know, like, I'm too young to have a legacy project, but, like, this project meant so <laughs> friggin' much to me. It's right in my neighborhood. It's your neighborhood, man. You, you've it's, gentrified a lot in that neighborhood, and I mean, people aren't going to necessarily love that term and the fact that I, I'm saying that, but, like, you've done a lot of work in that neighborhood, and you've done a lot of things really great for that community, right? Like, you've done community gardens. You've done a lot of work to the properties. You've even yeah, like maintained rents so. that I would say are very low. Like, oh, you have lots of rents mm. in renovated buildings that are half of market value, and you did that before any of this stuff took place, and you were always very casual about it and you were more maintained about keeping the tenants and maintaining strong relationships and helping to build the community. Um, obviously, yeah. things have changed now with the way the rules got slapped yeah, into place yeah. and nobody else kind of kept their word. And now you're into biting the bullet because you kept yours. Well, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm that much of a, of a great guy, but thanks. No. <laughs> thanks for pumping my tires a bit there. Um, no, it, it means a lot to me because I do love my neighborhood. Like I, I will be able to see this building from my backyard. Right, like I'm invested. Most people would hate that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the distance. I got a pretty big lot, um, but uh, you know, and I'm just right there, and I'm having to go through this right now. And um, we are so many months behind. Like, which what I said before has some positives to it, but now as we get close to the rubber hitting the road, I have to really look at this. And the difference is a massive amount of extra capital having to be put into the project. They're like, oh yeah, no, it's still tenable. Like we can still do this. We just need a quick extra like 1.5 million. Yeah, great, easy peasy. That's what that rate can do. And when you think about, well, we want more housing and, um, you know, CMHC just did all this effort to make these programs where we were about to see the biggest housing construction boom in the history of the country um, that would only be held up only by the availability of trades but otherwise, it was going to be full tilt for the next 36 to 48 months to build the inventory that we all say we need to help with housing. And, you know, a couple rate increases by Bank of Canada and 50, like it just goes away, goes away. I, I got I feel like I'm, I'm going to just jump in here. Now I'm, I'm, we're skipping personal news for a second. And now that Chandler said what he said, I'm going to start talking about it a little bit because okay. this is something that I'm trying to I'm going to throw out there as an explanation because I think it's going to even differ from what we end up talking about through this podcast. But. As you're saying, the, the bank can't raise those rates, and now the cost of construction is so much higher. And so we're all certain because the rates went up, house prices are pulling back a little bit, or your volume of transactions is slowing down. But this is going to be different than any other pullback we've ever seen in the sense that because inflation is up, the cost of construction is so high, yeah. everyone's stopping their construction mm-hmm. projects, which is actually going to put a bigger pinch on inventory, which actually I think will boil out to cause prices to either level or increase even though the economy oh, is getting, crashing we're getting, around we're, it. We're getting, we're getting I had to jump ourselves. into it because you're saying it and I'm like, well, this is the big thing. And everyone's freaking out and I'm like, I, I don't, this is different. Like this is different. I have some stats here. I'll talk about a bit later, but just think about that concept before we go into this. Like we're going to about to say a bunch of doom and gloom and all these bad numbers, but this is different because Let's the also, cost of construction is so high. They just can't, they can't give housing to make it go down. Also, uh, 400,000 people in 200,000 homes. Yeah, so we're gonna it's simple just, math, yeah. right? We're gonna, we're we're trying to bring in as a country four hundred thousand people every year, yeah. And we can we have the capacity for about two hundred thousand homes, and we've been doing those two hundred thousand homes down. exactly. We've been doing those two hundred thousand homes with cheap interest money, like cheap rates, um, and now those rates are high. the The input prices, the the 
cost of lumber is starting to come down, but there's no, there's all these conflicting forces. And I'm, I'm per, super excited to talk about this, but let's continue. I, I, what else? What do you have? What do you have for I gotta say my fears. I got okay. so many fears. Can <laughs> yeah, I say my so fear? Many fears. I right. have so many fears. Okay, I got to say my Spiders. last fear, and then I'm gonna go back to my news. Sharks, open water. Yeah, exactly. So, just following along in this path here, everyone. We're, rates went up. Prices are starting to cool because everyone's a little bit nervous. What's going to happen to the market? What's going to happen to the market? So we think prices are going to go down, but there's no inventory and everyone's parking construction, which is actually ultimately going to force it up continually. And there's plan to bring in more immigrants. What's going to happen? And I think it could cause things to really boil over in a bad way if the federal government slows down immigration. This is a boil out from this. And I, I think can't I, imagine they're going to do that. I, but I can't. And if that happens, we've said it many times on here before. Canada is in the business of people. Dude, we don't yeah. exploit our resources, which I know I agree for in some ways. In some ways, I'm like, we're killing ourselves. Anyways, I'm going to go back to personal news now. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope I, we've locked you in for today's episode. We're going to talk about all this stuff. It's going to be good, man. I love it. My, outside of that, honestly, my personal news, like I said, isn't exciting because I basically asked a bunch of things. I'm really not buying anything unless I feel it's like an out of this world deal. Um, and this is even outside of housing. I was supposed to have bought a boat uh, for my new home this summer. And I was just explaining to the guys, I got a boat and I got a deal brought to me. And they said, hey, this is a great price on this boat. It's a beautiful boat. It has low hours. It's two years old. And I'll just give the numbers. It was $140,000 for the boat. And I was like, okay, that's not bad. So I call my friend who has the same boat. And he just bought that boat brand new, zero hours. For 96000 bucks, And the difference was? So $44,000, that's 50% higher for a used one on market right now. And I'm like, that makes explain no why. sense. Just, there's no inventory. Yeah, so this, your friend ordered his... He ordered his brand new from the dealer two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. So he he got it for list price. And now he can take it and turn it around and sell it for one hundred eighty grand. And so, like, again, something's got to give. It makes no sense. Like, this is... And so now I'm parking that because I'm like, I, that doesn't make any sense to me to pay 50% more for something like that. And I can see it now. You, you go out, you buy that, and six months from now, the market's down 50K, and you basically paid $10,000 a month to go out on your boat three times. Can I just make a request uh, for some of the haters to take that clip and put it on a subreddit for, like, Neil's upset about not Neil's being able to buy boats? Boat. Yeah, exactly. There'd be some one percenter clip, <laughs> and that, this is why we have the taxes on boats. And, yeah. and if you could use that new Snapchat filter where it just looks like he's crying like this. Yes. Bit, that'd be Snapchat like, filter to make me look like I'm crying, and then somehow put me on the boat. If you look at my Instagram, there's one of me photoshopped on a boat. If you could use all of those yeah. and create it, I'd be very happy. The real sad thing is that Neil already bought the deck shoes, and... Um, <laughs> So that's the real... I bought new swim trunks and deck shoes, so I'm not going to get to use them. <laughs> oh, man. Um, no, listen, I, I hear you. It's So I, I shared this with some people um, just the other day that the, this project is very personal and to not do it would be a real... It would feel like a real failure. Um, and it would be just genuinely disappointing. Uh, and people always say, well, sometimes the best moves you make are the ones you don't make. And um, when you look around and you see the smart people in the room that have all the money and they're pressing pause on things, you know, I Take like to be I like to be contrarian. Um, however, <laughs> these smart people with lots of money, if they're saying pause, it kind of gives you pause. Now, that said, and this is the other thing, because uh, people are like, oh, yeah, like this is fear mongering. There's going to be no recession, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's, first of all, people don't understand what a recession is. It's not necessarily like the great depression when we're like, please, sir, can I have some more? Like it's yeah. not, not necessarily gonna be that. It's just a yeah. contraction of GDP for consecutive, uh, months. Yeah. Um, there's also going to be a big delay on these things because 
some people are half built their projects mm-hmm. uh, or, or they're right at the starting line or maybe they just have the cash that they don't really much care. Mm-hmm. Those are still going to go ahead. So the lag, have to finish them. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, that's why the people are, are that are projecting this recession. It's it's in 2023 because the other thing is there's what's called like stickiness of, of pricing. So if you have a contract and you've signed that contract and it's good for 12 months, you know, a, an economic slowdown doesn't void your contract. Exactly. Right. You still have that pay. Anyone who is out there and has a job that that is paying them 40 bucks an hour you don't all of a sudden go to your boss like, you know what? I hear there's a bit of an economic slowdown. I'll go ahead and I'll take 35 bucks, right? So there is that stickiness of wage and stickiness of supply and stickiness of services that'll take a long time to slow down. Um, but if you look at everything that's going on, it, it's going to have to slow down. The problem is, as you say, there's all these other forces that are booing things up. So you may actually get a contraction of GDP, um, frugality will while, become the norm right now we're all living high up, yeah. off the hog luxury items are exploding the, the more luxurious a good is the less likely you're able to get it like it's luxury goods are out of this world and people who are buying all sorts of fancy shit that have no means or no reason buying fancy shit are doing it for all the wrong reasons but it's because money's been so flush and no matter what you were doing there was an opportunity to make money and that's going to tr- turn around and so even though things are going to continue on it's going to be a change of lifestyle, I think, across the board. And I think this is what you saw in the 80s, where frugality was very important. 80s, early 90s, that's these mm-hmm. luxury these luxury booms were not mm-hmm. taking place. It was then this late like 2010 range that luxury items really just became like the norm and it went on this massive boom. Yeah, so I'm going to throw out this stat that there was $35 trillion worth of wealth that was wiped out from global markets uh, in the past, I don't know, a couple months. And... What that means is, you know, these are, are losses that, yes, they might be on paper or in portfolios or in asset holdings, but that changes how people then go out and spend their money. You know, if you look at how much of our market here in Nova Scotia was recently impacted by people from other provinces who are retirement age, who were kind of cashing in their chips mm-hmm. wherever they were and saying, all right, I'm going to move to Nova Scotia. Well, if their portfolio just took a hit of 35%, which is not unreasonable, exactly. um, they're now looking, oh, on second thought, I'm actually going to work for a couple more years. Yep. Uh, I can't go to Nova Scotia just yet. So one, that's on the one side, that's a home that doesn't come available in their current market. Yep. Um, and then on the flip side, they also don't come here to our province. So that's less demand on the buy side. So it's all these moving things. Um, but that's what asset, you know, asset wealth loss Kind of how that trickles down the rest of the economy. They also the ripple just, effect is they enormous. Get, they they spend less, right? Say, exactly. So. Say they spend less. And when you look at a home transaction, what do they say? It, it brings twenty or fifty thousand dollars to the economy every time a home transacts. So yeah. that hundred grand from those two transactions is now lost simply because they've decided to pull back. It, it's gonna like, and then there's the delay. That's the other thing is people I think like are, are missing the fact that this <clears> what I was <throat> saying a lot is that I feel like the rate hike took place and everyone waited for a week to see if we were gonna be on the streets eating bread, and then it didn't happen in a week and they're like, oh. Everything's okay. Let's continue. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 no. This is going to, like, in 60 to 90 days, you're going to be like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to see what's happening here. And then when another one takes place, add that on, and it's going to start to com- compound, right? So it yeah. takes a little bit of time because, like I said, contracts need to end. Renewals need to take place. Um, the businesses need to start feeling it. But I've talked to a few business owners that have, like, I would say uh, expensive kind of luxury items. They're not luxury items, but they're they're non-essentials, non-essential mm-hmm. items that are kind of expensive. And they said they're seeing their sales already start to trickle down. Yeah. 
as of about a month and a half ago. They said yeah. for this time last year, they were doing better, which is crazy because we were in the pandemic. The other challenge, too, is this is a time of year where people start to spend more money and you get more tourism. So, again, seeing the actual ramifications of this um, in the short term, it's hard to compare. Like, if you look at May versus March, right, people spend more money in May than they do in March. There's more things to do. Tourism comes to, you know, it's yeah. hard to measure that. But household spending and residential construction are the biggest contributors to our GDP. Right. So if there's less household spending and eventually there's going to be a slowdown in housing starts um, right now, again, the numbers are skewed because there's more housing starts in yeah. May than there were in April because it's, it's easier to break ground in May than it is in April. Yeah. But that's going to slow down. Um, yeah, interesting times. So boohoo, Neil can't buy a boat. Um, <laughs> and he's maybe like uh, curbing some of his spending. Anything else new with you? So Catch me swimming in the harbor this summer. So are you are you uh, <laughs> he's out there on the harbor hopper? Yeah. Um, are, are you looking at any properties at all right now? I, I'm looking. Like, I'm continuously looking to find deals. Like I said, it's still... But it has to be an amazing, amazing, amazing deal that has to work on, on that front. And Why does it have to be an amazing deal? Because you um, don't see the short-term lift, like, guaranteed? I don't see of- the short-term lift and the, and even the long-term play. So, like, now that rent control here locally has been broken, most of Canada already has it. Having traveled a bit through Canada, I see where the rental properties are. There, there A lot of them are, are ill-maintained, and I'm now very concerned that it might not necessarily be the way. So I have this mixture now of doubt of like not getting the lift because the upward interest rates means I'm going to get to borrow less money. It's going to have an upward pressure on cap rates. So my end values are going to be lower. And then even once I'm done and I lock in, let's say a great rent, if I can only get 2% for the next 10 years, I'm stuck. I'm going to start losing money. Like if you take your spreadsheet and you extrapolate and you put in all your expenses, like, okay, this furnace Mm -hmm. is going to last me 20 years. My roof's going to last me 15 years. My windows are going to last me 20 years. Put all of those in. There'll be a tipping point somewhere. There will be a tipping point. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, it doesn't make sense after 10, 15 years to own a lot of these buildings. And so for me, I am very, very hesitant on buying right now because of that simple fact. And like, it again, it sounds kind of fear mongering and you can still make money on rentals. But I think the other thing you need to consider when you look at auxiliary markets, like well, in Toronto and Vancouver, they trade for 600 a door, 800 a door as rentals, but they have no rental income. Those people are buying those. They're basically wealth transfers. They're putting down 50%. They're putting down 65%. And what you're banking on is the values being basically covered by the condo values in your neighborhood. Because basically they're saying this is the equivalent of a condo and this is what it's worth. So they'll lend against it on that sense because the idea would be that they could potentially sell it as condos later on. Conversion. It's conversion, right? But that that means for making money as a small-time investor where there's not a ton of wealth behind me, I have to make decisions as if like... This I have to look at and I have to extrapolate it and make that decision. And that's why I've had this full, like, hard stop in the last couple months of, like, hmm, I don't know where I want to go with this right now, mm. right? And, like, that – but that's just my logic. And maybe they remove rent control here or maybe they increase the, the, the rate that you're allowed to increase. And there's still probably ways to make money that I'm not seeing and maybe better run buildings and being frugal with what you do and really making sure you target the proper <clears throat> rents allows you to do it. And, like, things yeah. like student housing – I was saying this to someone who's building a student housing building – I can now see why student housing has lasted for hundreds of years of super high value because due to the turnover, you actually hundreds have... Hundreds of years? <laughs> literally, man, those universities have been there. Like literally every property yeah, yeah. around Dalhousie is 140 years old. I don't know if they old. were having keggers. Yeah, I don't know if they were having keggers <laughs> back, centuries ago. back then. Like horse and buggy parties. The original parties. toga parties. Yeah. <laughs> like OG toga. Like it's like, where your togas, man? Like get, what else was I going to wear? But like, <laughs> <laughs> Which toga though? Which color? But like in all seriousness, like I'm like, okay, now I see why these downtown locations and student housing areas make sense because there's a lot of turnover. And yeah, turnover is huge. Turnover might be a bad Mm. thing, but if there's rent control, turnover is actually a good thing. 
because it gives you an opportunity to clean things up. It gets you an opportunity oh, to get to market. Turnover rents. is the best. I used to look for tenants that I thought would stay for a while, and now I look for tenants who I think won't stay for a while. Exactly. And these, these, these auxiliary crazy. markets crazy, might actually end up getting killed. And that's why when you look at a lot of cities, the auxiliary high-density rental areas, those buildings are super ill-maintained, and I think that's what's caused it in the, in the, in the past because there has been rent controls in the past, and they have come and gone. Yeah, so on that cheery note, I'm about to close on a 12-unit building. Um, <laughs> apartments, not condos. Apartments, not condos. Um, now that Neil said it's a terrible idea. Uh, now, I closed that on Jul- early July, um, so I'm excited about that. That said, I also have, man, how many units under, like, renovation, active current renovation? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like, nine, about to be 11 units under active renovation. Mm-hmm. Um and so the idea of taking on 12 more, I'm kind of hoping that the schedule lines up. Uh, and I'm revisiting that large package deal that I talked about maybe a month ago where I couldn't make the individual parts um, less than like the redevelopment play because of some limitations with redeveloping it. But I think um, there is some value that I can collect in the parts as is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I facilitated a deal that sold off two parts that were adding a lot of value in their own right, but weren't going to add a lot of value to me. So I found a buyer for those, and now those are outside of the package. And so the remaining piece is more sizable, uh, appropriate. So I'm looking at that, but it's interesting. I'm looking at it primarily as potential short-term furnished rentals. This is crazy that you say that. I have a couple uh, units turning over. And my manager, <coughs> shout out Josh, he's listening. Joshua. Joshua. He's also handling, like you're saying, we have, we have about 40-ish units, 45 units under rental right now, and he is managing that. All like vacant a, under rental? Yes, and I'm regretting it because I realize how much rental income I'm losing. Bro. Yeah. That's too much. That is too much. Um, but um, the these two units came up, and he was like, do you want to try Airbnb? And I was like, you know what? Maybe. And so we went through the are, neighborhood. Where, where are these at? Bedford. Okay. And yeah. so, like, for anyone who's not in Halifax, Bedford used to be its own little community. It's about 25 minutes from downtown. It, it's basically, like, Halifax just merges into it at this and point. And now yeah. Halifax <clears throat> has merged into it. And it's, it's where most of our new development is taking place for homes, single-family yeah, homes. A lot of it, yeah. Um, and anyway, so it, it's become a, a little bit of a higher price point because of that. And it has great schools and da-da-da-da. But it doesn't have a ton of hotels. Like, it doesn't really have, like, a downtown core area at all because it's not really its own city. No, they used to have a bunch of, like, really sketchy motels, but they've all been redeveloped because they're on the main strip. And they're getting turned into apartments. Yeah. So I just opened Airbnb, went Bedford, and I didn't put a date range. I just went and saw what there was. And I clicked on, like, the first 15. I think the earliest we could find was, like, end of July for a room rental for $80. Wow. But, like, any of the actual, like, ones that I'm like, oh, this is, like, an actual apartment that's up for rent, they were booked. Like, one of them, I was like, oh, sweet, it says April 13th. And I was like, wait a second, we're past April 13th. Click on it. It's first available booking, April 13th, 2023. And I was like, holy crap. Like, And what it is, and and the reason my manager brought up is he said a lot of our applicants are people who have moved here who are living in Airbnbs. And he said, they're like, we'll take it because I'm paying six grand a month right now (laughs) to live in an Airbnb. And so a lot of these people are getting month-long rentals. Yeah. So I said, you know what? We got two turning over. We're going to furnish them out. They're nice. Like, I think they'll have two parking spas. It, it's, it's also good while well. you're renovating the rest of the building because you can be kind of like, listen, yeah. you know, I'm not, uh, it's the building is under construction. The common areas aren't that great. Yeah. Um, but you're here 
out of a short term. And you get a discount space. at the end of the day, like it's a discount yeah. space. Yeah. So um, now that that's really interesting. Um, these units I'm looking at have kind of been run in a similar model, but kind of short term rental. Like there's the Airbnb model that's truly short, short term. And then there's kind of that mid range of maybe a couple weeks. You know, someone's here working. Yeah, and I'm leaning more towards that, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that all. all Getting the furniture will probably be the tough part. I was thinking about that after. I was like, ten bucks says we can do this, but we're gonna basically we're gonna probably doing IKEA, and I don't even know what IKEA's inventory is like, but I'd like to do like Structube because I find I like their style a little more and tends to fit the Airbnb esque like style a little better. But I know Structube. Like I tried to get a table for my house, and I had to order like four. And the first one showed up was the one I kept. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. they're all six months, eight months out. Yeah. And Unless, of course, you want to sponsor a Structube, in which case you're the best. And at Structube, you are as our um, <laughs> Yeah. I, you'd have to go and be like, what do you got in stock? Send it over. Effectively. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of what's new with me. Um, just plugging away at those. And, you know, I'll get a little test trial because we got that place down the South Shore that is run through the summer months as an Airbnb. So, um, yes, your canvas house. That's the yurt that is adjacent to the main house. Yes. Yurt life, baby. I'll rent uh, it. Uh, you can come by any time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah yurt life. Um, okay, we're going to dive into some headings. So do you want to just, like, alternate? You throw a heading at me, I'll throw a heading at you, and we're going to tackle a lot of topics here in, in aggressive uh, order. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I guess I can start. And the first one, Go I'm I'm got BC here, and I'm just feeling BC because I just came back. I love my time there. It's an amazing place. But... Fraser Valley, which includes Vancouver, Burnaby, Whistler, Squamish, which if you're from BC, you obviously know that Fraser Valley is basically the main hub of BC. It's where all the the main cities are, majority of the population lives, and that's kind of where it's based out of for population. I'm not saying for mountains or anything about lifestyle, but simply for population living and for numbers. And so Fraser Valley saw their volume of sales drop by 35%. That's number of units transacted. That's number of units transacted. That is enormous. 35% in drop. Yeah. Um, so, like, they're, they're actual for the year. They're down by 0.8%. But there's a lot of skewing, especially with BC, because the way the cities are all dotted really close to each other and their boundaries touch and tap. So the comparisons are getting a little wonky. Um, but to see that much drop in a place like that, that kind of shows to me, that that market is extremely speculative. Also realize that there's a month delay in the reporting on these stats, right? So some of these things that are closing um, may have actually been transacted two months ago. Uh, Because, I mean, I've heard of things with the Simon Fraser area, is that what it's called? Fraser Valley. Valley. Fraser Valley. Um, That they've seen, in some cases, 10 15% declines on pretty standardized product, where it's like, all right, there's not that much difference between this house and that house, and it's down 10 to 15%. And this is, again, this is the weird thing, because we're not there. The stats are still showing that the numbers haven't gone down. And part of me believes that they haven't, because I think a lot of investors own the property. And they're just like, no, no, I'm just going to keep it at this. I don't yeah, really care. Totally. I listed for $1 million, didn't get any offers. It's going to sit at $1 million. This is the stickiness. I don't People need to sell yet. People not start giving their home away because, of, oh, I hear pricing's down. I'll just give my home away for less. They're like, no, let's take it off the market, which contracts supply and then drives back up. But that's okay. really interesting. Um, I know as well, you know, I've heard a couple things anecdotally about people trying to back out of deals in some of these yes. areas in Vancouver because it's a really high price point and they have pretty big deposits here. This is like you know, yeah, 50, 50 to $100,000 100, yeah. deposit, but they're also buying at a $2 million price point where yeah. say you made a purchase and you know, it was the market was two, you went up to 2.1. Well, now there's been a little bit of a pullback and a unit in the same area has just gone down to 1.8, yeah. right? 300,000. And your rate just went up by 50 basis points and it's looking like it's going to go up by hundred basis points. All of a sudden you look at the 
all right, I have a fifty thousand dollar deposit, but I have a way bigger mortgage, and I the may, home's down three hundred, and my mortgage is up two hundred. So I'll lose my fifty to say five hundred. Yeah, yeah. And what are the ramifications of that? Because that's, and then you start getting into legal battles. But it's weird because like on the same thing right now, like again, the stats that we were able to pull, they said they broke another all time high for pricing in April. Yep. Like it, it's just, and this is where, I'm, and this is kind of what I was just <clears> ranting about there when we first opened is like. This is a different type of recession, and it's going to be really different for housing. And I, I think those who have might end up panning out okay. Oh, it's, like so, it's, it's going to be like it's. You we know talked what I mean? about this in a previous episode um, about protecting yourself in a seller's market, and it's buy fundamentally sound properties yeah. in core areas that cannot be substituted for that easily. Don't bang um, in the future, and. Also, you know, we've talked a lot about replacement cost. So when you talk about substitution, replacement cost, location, fundamentals, right there, that's how you protect yourself. When you go to a periphery area uh, with a very standardized product that doesn't have uh, an irreplaceable location uh, or, or isn't a unique enough product that it can't be substituted for something else, and you pay more than the cost it would be to build that unit, you are exposed to a level of risk extremely exposed right. to a high level of risk. And we also have to remember that some of these numbers ticking up get really aggressively skewed by Vancouver and Toronto. For example, like nationwide, depending on how you adjust seasonally, they're reporting anywhere between 12 and 25% drop in the number of sales um, and a 0.5% to even a 3% drop in the actual sale prices. Again, mm-hmm. depending on how you, you measure and adjust. Um, but all of these things get drastically skewed by the major markets. So those markets in Vancouver and Toronto are still up about 16% year over year. But if you talk to people there, they have a very different view. And I, I'm, I'm already kind of feeling regretful that we didn't call, make some calls. And I think we will before we get on the next episode. We're going to call a few realtors that we know in both of those cities to get the actual true market feel on the ground. Because yeah. I know I have clients, friends, and family that live in, in Toronto. And we talk to them fairly frequently. And they said it's turning into pandemonium. Like in Toronto... It is diving. Like it, people are Man, backing out of deals, like you're saying in it, Vancouver, and they're just like prices are falling off. People are rapidly trying to get out of the houses. People who need to get out are like scared out of their minds, and they're dropping yeah. the prices, dropping the prices because they need to get them offloaded. And and uh, Toronto's reporting, you know, in some areas uh, down three and a half percent, but again, that's really skewed because you have some of these marquee areas that are still going to turn really big numbers. Yep. There's a lag in the reporting, um, so. It's it's coming on the wash, but if you just look at all the indicators of what things might be two to three months from now, you can see the slowdown in transactions. You can see the, the stagnation of the pricing. But to your point that we made earlier, there's these conflicting forces, which is why if you average all this out, it looks a lot like a leveling as opposed to a and correction I th- I or a I think realistically it will. Like I think like we're talking about, I think it's going to be a leveling more so. I think you'll have some panic sales that will cause some drops in some of these overinflated markets like we're talking about. Uh, Vancouver and Toronto. We're just beating on Vancouver and Toronto. And I think Halifax might be considered a little overvalued now, so we might take some heat. But I wonder, I'm just thinking, I wonder if this skews the numbers where um, new homes, so people who put deposits on new houses a year ago mm-hmm. that they're closing today. So technically by stats, those transactions are going through today. Yeah, yeah. Top so of those, market. those could be keeping numbers up, totally. even though like yeah. all the resale product around them is dropping. They already had made a contract and purchased at a million bucks. And now the houses around them are going for eight eight fifty. Because it's similar to we had on uh, the the host, I'll just say unreserved, and Ryan was talking about how he sold for a builder, and they sold one now for a brand new one for eight eighty or something. 
but he said then the resale ones on the street just went for 850 and 820 mm-hmm. in the same week. Yeah. Right? So it's like that 880 sale was something that was locked in in advance yeah. as a pre-sale. Yeah, yeah, totally. And now the resales around mm-hmm. them are going for less. And so overall, it balances out and says the same numbers. Right. But it's not a true indicator of where the market's going. This is why, you know, boots on the ground, realtors, what they're reporting anecdotally um, that's not yet reflected in the data it is a slowdown, but... but you know, there, it's really nuanced in it. Um, let's do uh, let's do a fun one. Mm-hmm. So in in China, it, it's a really competitive uh, marriage market, and uh, in <laughs> some communities, they have these matchmaking corners where effectively, if you're a single person, you go to these corners in your town or neighborhood and try to make a love connection. And a father, are you is that what like a corner of the street? Yeah. Okay, no, okay, continue. Yeah, totally. Like, um, I think we, I'm not. Do we have one of these? <laughs> <laughs> we got a couple corners around here. You can make love connection. Um, oh. oh, I love it. I love it. All right, all right. Um, let me let me finish my news story. Yeah, um, this father, it's really competitive. It, it is because, you know, their population numbers and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, this father gifted his son. 20 real estate properties in order to make him a more appealing groom for potential wife. And they had this picture in the news story of all the deeds. He took the deeds and he hung them out on a string on matchmaker corner and went there and yeah. Yeah. And so he's trying to better market his son, uh, to get uh, a more desirable bride. And now I, people listening to me like, that sounds insane. I think it sounds a bit insane, but on the flip side, we do the same shit here. Like, oh. you, no, you, you do. You do. You wow. no, you really do. You really do. There's a reason that people drive the shit they drive. They wear the shit they wear. Like the the hundred thousand dollar watch makes no difference. I thought to, you were going to go down the road of like nepotism. <laughs> Why? Well, no, but like in all seriousness, like it, it, the clothing. Like there's no reason. Like a twenty thousand dollar shirt's not going to help you do anything. But you're right. showing. You're wearing it to show everybody else. Totally, but it's usually not your dad who bought the shirt for you and then goes, well, "Hey, get well, out there, son." I, <laughs> I, but indirectly, like no one says it now. But like I, I look at a lot of people my like my age, and I'm like, <clears throat> you are f- like that. That is generational wealth. So that is from yeah. that is from your family. Yeah. That is paying for what you have. And d- no, no disregard to the fact that you work really hard. But I think it might be impacting the ability to purchase some of those things. And then that will impact a lot of times who you end up love cornering with. Oh. <laughs> Just saying. I love this topic. We oh, talk so, about real yeah, estate, no, but know, just, I, a, just an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Catch me at Windmill Road with my deeds. Uh, <laughs> needs kidding, there. kidding. I have a girlfriend. Unsolicited deed pick. <laughs> <laughs> Neil's got big DN, deed energy. Um, okay, so there's my light news story. Let's go back to one of your more okay. serious ones. No, yeah. Uh, mine, mine I'll, I'll go with the light one, too. It's not quite as good as that, but I was just going to talk about the metaverse. Oh, I love so, it. We haven't talked much about the metaverse recently. No one has. No one has because it, it was a news item and it, it came and went. But we say that in 2021, prices were up on average 700% across the major four markets. In 2021, yeah. Yeah. And they transacted $500 million. Yeah. So, like, it, it's it's worthy of, of some conversation. Yeah, totally. I was researching mm. now, and again, I'm not heavily invested in it because I didn't feel comfortable making the jump yet where I think it's so new and fresh. I do really think that's going to take over. But long story short, I couldn't find stuff to say that the prices have started to fall down yet. But the coins or the, the, the tokens that are utilized to purchase the metaverse properties have dropped in value by 90%. Yeah, because people realize you can't do much else with them other than trade in the in the NFT space or the, the, the metaverse space. And 
there is a critical demand level for that. But I think those people were transacting with one another. Yeah. And the influx of new interest isn't yet there because everyone's getting hammered in their more conventional investments. In the real world. In the real world. <laughs> in the real it. world, yeah. people are getting hammered. And this is what I've been saying. I've been trying to say this to a lot of my colleagues. And I'm going to say it to everybody that's listening because uh, we value you listening. And again, not financial advice. Don't know <laughs> anything. So don't don't take it for that. But I honestly believe that part of the like, yeah, crypto markets and the stock market are taking a beating because interest rates are going up. But it's just a simple fact of think people are starting to feel the pinch infl- on the inflation and their expenses have gone up a bunch yeah. and they don't have the expendable cash. Where are they going to come up with expendable cash? They're going to take their non-essential investments, their non-essential assets and start getting rid of those. And so the very first yeah. easiest one that I think people see to get rid of is crypto. Well, I don't, also, I don't think that people yeah. feel like that attached to it. And I think they'll sell their crypto first. Then they start to look at like toys, like boats and things like that, that eventually they'll start selling. But really they want to start with those items. And I think the last thing they'll ever consider is their house. Oh, a hundred percent. I think you really nailed that. Especially the last thing they'll ever consider is their house. Um, I mean, also, if people are looking at their portfolio and they want to reposition, they're not going to be like, all right, let's, let's take it out of these conventional saving things and put it in the metaverse right now. Like in this climate, that's not what people I'm are gonna doing. going to sell all my TD um, Bank and so, buy IOTA. Yeah. So to your point, NFTs uh, are down 64% since the start of the year, which is closely tied to, to crypto, we, which we, is down $1 trillion. We never addressed NFTs because they had like a massive blowout. Yeah. Yeah. They went crazy. and we, I we, feel we, like we touched it when we talked about NFTs. Yeah, I, sold, I talked about like a couple like failed recent sales in NFTs. And NFTs, um, I'm saying this from a place of like a little bit of ignorance, but from my ignorant position, I feel that NFTs, the technology makes a ton of sense and has mm-hmm. a ton of merit. Yeah. But all the little artworks were a scam for the most part. Like it's like it's like in the real world, like there's art, but not everything is going to be that. Like it's like the dot com bubble. Like everyone thought that every website was going to be something amazing. No, but it doesn't mean the internet's not good. It doesn't mean that a website's yep. no good, but there's going to be the primary functional websites and then all the others were just kind of garbage. And I think that's what happened with the NFTs. Totally. Like, it's what's going to happen with crypto too. And it happens yeah. with all these things. Like if you look around the world, man, there's every sub product that you have, there's typically a Pepsi and a Coke. Yeah. Right. Two, two major players. Sometimes you'll get a third major yep. player. And in the coin space, it just, it seems to make sense that, they're going to have to amalgamate at some point. You can't have thousands of different coins for very unique purposes. And this is why Bitcoin has done so well historically because they were the effectively the cryptocurrency equivalent of the US dollar, right? Like there's that one frame of reference that gets worldwide adoption. You can't have a thousand of them. And there's some like little micro coins that have very unique practical purposes yeah. um, that have a technology a component, it's but not, it's not the coin though. It's the technology behind them. Yeah. The yeah. Coin and is like the assignment of it. So we talked about how th- about 35 trillion was wiped out, uh, from asset wealth. Um, and crypto In is down markets. 1 trillion. Yeah. Wow. That, that's trillion. quite a bit when you think about really crypto coming to the scene in the last few years and like asset wealth that you're talking about. Being Does asset wealth include real estate then? Uh, or do you I want think, like, think market. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that would be because they can't, they can't really, they can't really quantify. Years. Yeah, they can't, can't really quantify uh, real estate like that. It'd be way more than that amount. Yeah, exactly. Plus. One, yeah, one yeah. Change. So that that would be um, like market asset wealth. So uh, and and speaking of Bitcoin, they're down thirty five percent year to date. You so. know, I think also one regret I have with all the like NFT stuff, crypto stuff, is being smart about 
kind of watching the curves, like not getting caught up in the hype, but being like, okay, I understand that maybe NFTs technology is amazing. And realistically, these art pieces aren't actually where the value is, but also having the skills and the understanding that, look, it's going to have a huge run because the general perception and acceptance of them is that they are really extremely valuable. And so being able to make an investment off of that, because really it's the same as a stock market, but it's more volatile, right? Like they they trade on sentiment, they trade on excitement more so than actual Mm -hmm. value. So it's like, they're just super intense. So I wish, but I don't know if you can have the foresight to do that. And I think the problem is it's so flighty that even a news story that you can't predict could absolutely kill your investment in two seconds. But it's just, I don't know. You yeah, s- I mean, you what you're saying is like, well, exciting. gosh, you know, like I wish I had bought low and sold high. But like, that's yeah. just, it's, it's. Hindsight's uh, 2020. Yeah. But I'm saying in general with all markets. But anyways, moving yeah. on. Um, another, it's my turn. Another news story. Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. So uh, a study came out and said that college grads are overestimating their projected salaries by $50,000 a year. So they did this survey of recent college grads who on average, and this is pretty sad and hilarious, thought that they would be making about $103,000 a year coming out of graduating. And turns out that the average salary is closer to $50,000 for your first job out of graduation. So they were off by a cool 50 G's. Which is fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I mean, I feel yes. bad in some yes. ways, especially if you're in the states because you're taking on a massive, Ooh. massive amount of debt. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that it's the grads' fault. I feel like I'm blaming the previous gen, freaking boomers. If you're listening, I'm just joking. But like, in they're all not listening because they're they're boomers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I think I feel like the the parents really, at least I found this. They 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 will show to like the kids that if you go to the college education, you're going to be making a ton of money in no time. And I think then the perception for a lot of people going into it was that this is what it's going to be. And even like, I feel like media, like when you watched movies and stuff, they perceived that if you went and had a college education, when you graduated, you're going to be making way more money than everybody Mm -hmm. else or doing really well immediately. And that's because I think from that era, like I've always heard the stories of like, yeah, you got your degree and there'd be a job fair and there'd be 15 offers and you'd pick whatever was the best company for you and the highest paying and this and that. And it's changed now. You go to the job fair, oh, man. and there's 15 people <laughs> fighting for the same job at that fair, and then another 400 online. We talked about this before when I think I referenced a cartoon that was in the School of Business that I worked at uh, when I was working in economics. And it was a cartoon that had a picture of a cattle ranch, except instead of cattle in it, there was just a bunch of people dressed in suits. And there were two farmers that were saying, oh, yeah, these MBAs are ready for market. It basically <laughs> implying that it was a factory farm for MBAs and, you know, the implication is that maybe those MBAs aren't worth as much as people are sold on. Um, I, I've thought about this a lot because I find it really, really interesting. Um, and if you look at generationally, I mean, those boomers are the children of, um, you know, the World War II couples. Yep. Um, and the, the people, so their parents, that would be my generation's grandparents effectively, secondary education was far from a given. Uh, in fact, a lot of people didn't finish high school education so it's, it's at that, at that luxury, point in time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were sold this idea of, you know, it's often referred to as like the American dream. Yep. Right? And um, coming out of the war, there was a pretty significant boom where people could, you know, sub- suburbs became a thing. Yep. And, you know, people could afford these luxuries and they were convinced that, um you know, higher education was going to perpetually be the path towards that. And and probably it was for a little while. 
But then the reality kicked in that universities are a big business and universities have this really difficult thing to balance where um, you can't let everyone get a university degree because otherwise they're worth nothing. But you want to get as many people as possible because you charge them a lot of money and that's how you make their money. Um, and then it kind of goes a little bit further because you create all these um, people that often go out to market and find they can't make money um, and there's a massive divide now on campuses between um, business, right? Yeah. Science is over here doing its own thing. Yeah. Um, but there's a real separation between the business students and the arts students. Yeah. Um, you know, left, right, capitalist, socialist. It's now ingrained uh, a, a pretty significant divide there. And I, I just, it trickles down to our whole society because now there's a real connection between uh, universities that are really aggressively left-leaning in, in most cases here in the Western world and media sources because a lot of those people who maybe go through universities and, and go towards the arts, they end up more likely in media circles. And the people who go through the business kind of steer clear of um, like activism and, and media and, and all these things. I yeah the one thing I was going to mention I'm dancing around a few things you here. are dancing around a bunch of different yeah, things I don't but know if I, I want to open this can uh, of worms no, today. I'm in a good I mood you know? I was yeah same um, but I just like I just had a coffee and I'm ready to roll but <laughs> um, I was just going to make the point of like you were saying basically like they could not allow people to get an education so yeah the government basically the second the government signed on to allow them to take on student loans then everybody went and got a university education. Yeah. And this is kind which of a proof of concept, of which it. depreciates the value of it. Yeah. And it's not that no people shouldn't have been able to have it because that would have really separated and caused more divide. But then there needs to be an understanding that we wanted this. And as a whole, our, our, our population is more educated and is better for it. But then you need to understand it becomes a devalued proposition that's not necessarily worth it as much to go out and do. Yeah. Right? And, and I guess if you go back to kind of the the history of higher learning, it was not supposed to be about making money. It was supposed to be pursuing knowledge for self-improvement and, and so on. Um, but, you know, the universities kind of had to engage in this idea of like, well, go here, we'll get you a job. They, they advertise like our placement rate after university is this, is this, is this. Um, so... The purpose of um, university has changed a little bit. It's, it's now seen as a vehicle purely to enter the job market as opposed to just personal improvement. Okay, so now we've gone totally, like, digress. We're all off How the map. How did we end up on this? I don't know, but i got to ask this question <clears throat> then. Yeah. Do you think it's there's more opportunity today or 35, 40 years ago for the previous gen? Um, I think there is more opportunity today and people are going to hate on that. Um, I think your ability to, um, do things in a non-conventional way, your freedom to do that. I mean, to not have to go to university, right? Like if we're comparing this to say, you know, the early nineties, like, there, like you couldn't even get the interview. Like there was a less focus on practical life. You experience. didn't check the box. You just yeah, yeah. In. And things are coming back around um, to like, no. What can you actually do? Like, what's your actual practical life experience? Yeah. Um, you know, job flexibility, entrepreneurialism. I'm not saying those things didn't uh, exist before, but I think you have the freedom to pursue those things in a way you didn't have before, and then that is multiplied by the technology at your fingertips. So. If you talk opportunity, like the opportunity to do something incredible, yeah. um, I certainly think you have more opportunity now. That's not to say you don't have 
greater challenges in some respects. Like you can have more opportunity while also having more challenges, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like there's more people, right? So just like your odds of rising to the top when there are more people are, is harder, yeah. right? But even if you look at, um, I mean, the freedom of women in the workforce, the freedom of visible minorities in the workforce, like you can't tell me they don't have more opportunities today, which is fantastic. So I do think there's more opportunity uh, and less closed-minded thinking in terms of like what a job is and what it means to work for a company. I mean, people literally is, would work for the same company for 40 years. Don't, no one can tell me that that's opportunity. Like I had the opportunity to work for one company for 40 years. Yeah. You know, that's... you. So you say there's more challenges, but would you say... I don't, know I don't even know if I'm convinced there's more challenges. I, I was going like, to say, because it's be. like, maybe it's different industry because it's like if you go into maybe like software spaces and, and new spaces, there's not that many people to compete with because it's a new space. And did those people who succeeded in the previous generation go into new spaces and make that leap at that time? And people yeah. were kind of like, mm, what are you doing? And now they're like, let's say a, a monopoly or a strong house in that yeah, area. Yeah, totally. Is it a, I feel like it's a similar thing. And I'm, so, I'm with you. I think people are, are going to disagree in a lot of ways. And yes, the, the true fact of like a lot of things are way more expensive right now and the bare minimum wages and the average People incomes. act like things were so great in the 80s, man. They were not. Things were not great in the early 90s. Like there was a lot of times where things weren't great. That and like it's, yes, the baselines are, are more expensive, but there's also an opportunity to make a lot more money a lot quicker totally. in different ways. Like I don't yeah. think they had the opportunity to do this. And like you're saying, there's all these unique systems now mm. that are in place that can allow people to do pretty much anything like you know what I mean? Like become a taxi driver through Uber in two seconds or become a short-term rental host through Airbnb in two seconds. Like, and yet you don't need to own even a vehicle to do Uber. There's companies mm-hmm. that will release to you that you can run and use to do Uber. You don't need to own a property to do Airbnb. You can rental arbitrage through another property. And so if you have 500 bucks to sign a lease, you can start Airbnb being a property. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's less bad just to kind of backtrack a little bit, but um, you know, in the States, you, those universities, unless you're going to like a community college, like those major universities are very, you know, in a lot of cases like old money, nepotism, gatekeepers, um, elitism, you know, they're not necessarily welcoming to everyone by any stretch, right? So again, the value that they, you know, the, the, the purpose of those universities, I think just aren't really what um, they, they should be. Um, if you have kind of a romantic idea of what university should be. but Yeah, anyways, I think we went on a huge digression yeah, 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 yeah. there. Okay, Going back to real estate, uh, what else do you got for headlines? Because I want to talk about... Corner. Where are we here? Um, <laughs> I have two other things I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else? No, give me your okay. heading. I got, I got something else, but you give me your heading first. Okay, well, the first one, I was just going to talk about the States. So I've been digging into the States, and I've, told, I've talked about it on here before. I want to invest in the States, so I try to dig in and see where their market's going. They are still showing no signs of slowdown. They have had the rate increases, but they are not showing a sign of slowdown right now. And I don't know why usually Canada lags the states and we follow them in a lot of ways. But in this case, it's almost like our economy is being a lot more cautious. And I don't know if it's the banks that are starting to pump the brakes here or what, what exactly is going no, on. No, their rates are up too. But their rates no, are up well, no, I mean, yeah. more so the, the banks and their approvals uh, and their advising because it's like they're, they're not approving as quickly here. Like that's a big thing I've heard. Like they're already starting to pull back on different approvals. They're being a little more stringent. They're wanting higher down payments already. Versus, like, are they down there where it's more privatized? Are they being a little bit more loose with right, it? Right, right. Because it doesn't really matter if the rates go up, if the banks keep approving you and yeah. throwing the money out, people are just going to keep taking it, right? I think there's got to also be something to be said that people maybe underestimate how much more dense and large the states are than, than Canada, right? Like, trying to, like, we look at our market and it's effectively, all right, there's what's going on in Vancouver, what's going on in Toronto, and then kind of what's going on everywhere else. And those two markets dramatically skew our data. 
in the U.S., there's just more markets, and it's so nuanced between states. Huge. They have so that, many massive um, markets. It would be really disingenuous to try to make a, a, a sweeping statement about their market so far. Yeah, right? But it's not even like a, a couple cities are starting to slow down or anything. Like they had, all I could find is maybe one or two cities have a bit of slowdown, but not really much in general. Like there's just, it's still a very optimistic outlook, it seems like there, but maybe we'll see that change over uh, time. But they're also, yeah. for the first time, facing that inventory crunch in a lot of places which they didn't have in 2008, 2007. Right. They didn't have this inventory crunch before. They had a ton of homes then. This time, same thing. Construction costs are up. Inflation's up. They didn't build as many properties. And so they're also facing this inventory crunch, which, as we were talking about before, might be supporting this a lot more. Yeah. So in this recession, maybe housing's not the driver this time. Housing slows yeah. down a bit, goes down a little bit, but other things will take a massive beating. Yeah. Speaking of that and, and talking a little bit about um, housing and construction starts, I said earlier construction starts are up a little bit because that's a product of the time of year. Um, but lumber year to date, right? Some mm-hmm. of the lumber futures and stuff, they've come down a fair bit, um, which is exciting for people looking to build. Um, there's such a backlog of demand, though, that I, I think that'll still Gas stay pretty dropped. high for a while. Gas came down today, but we'll see what tomorrow brings. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the consumer price index which is, you know, a, a bundled good measure to reflect um, Missing some things, in, but inflation. Yeah. yeah, It's been, you know, rocketing along. But finally, if this makes sense, it's um, it's slowing down its, its pace of increase, right? So it's starting to round off at the top, uh, which is promising because that is meant to be a reflection of inflation. However, it doesn't include a lot of things. Energy, housing. Yeah, housing, you know. Um, so... That's why there's some people who think that our actual inflation is quite a bit higher than we say it is. But anyway, um, but the consumer price index rounding and, and, and slowing down is, is a positive sign. But the uh, producer price index, which is the inverse, all your input products, that has also kind of leveled off a little bit. Your things like your lumber, your petroleum products, you know, your your uh, the goods that go into the products that are then sold, that has started to slow down a little bit as well. So promising signs there for if you're looking at trying to slow inflation. So um, we've got a little bit of time left here. Again, thanks for listening, guys. If you haven't, if you listen to this whole point uh, and you haven't pressed the like button or the subscribe, please do it now. Subscribe thing, do it. Boop, boop, boop. Uh, I got two questions that I'm going to get into here for Neil, and I want to hear your thoughts because we've had them. Um, People asking there both on the buying side and the selling side that, hey, we're listening to what you're saying. There's concern about rates. All indications the rates are going to go up. Market might be slowing a little bit. Remains to be seen. Should we wait? To buy or to sell? Let's start with to buy. Oh, God. I'm already, I'm already half torn. So as an investor, again, if the numbers make sense, on a, like really make sense. I don't mean like, okay, I'm breaking even potentially if I get the rents to this makes sense. I mean like even if things pull back a bit, rents pull back a little bit, this place still makes sense. I think you should buy. I really and, and truly do. Um, I don't think banking on waiting for potential drops is a good idea because like we've talked about, I don't foresee it coming just for a simple fact that there's not going to be enough construction. There's still going to be a huge crunch on demand and uh, supply. Sorry. The other thing that's also depend on your market. Some markets where they're overinflated, where you're paying based on a, a potential comparable value to a condo mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I'm not super keen on. Right. But if you're b- b- buying it based on numbers and like commercial financing, traditional like financing based on income, that's the one that as long as they're good, I think it's still a buy. So you're saying as an investor, you're uh, proceed with caution, but proceed nonetheless? Exactly. Okay. I'll maybe take the residential traditional single family home purchaser. Um, my thought is this. If you're waiting for 
some bottom in the market to try to time the market. You have to look at why is this happening? Well, it's happening in large part because of the interest rate, yeah. right? So yes, you may save a little bit of money on the purchase price of that home. Um, but if you're paying significantly higher for it because of the increased interest rate, your effective cash flow in and out month to month, you know, is going to be negative. And your effective payment, pay what you pay for the house effectively is. Yeah. 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 Like you're going to, you're going to eat it on interest. So I think, you know, if saving $70,000, <coughs> excuse me, or $30,000 on the house ends up costing you more than the equivalent payment, which would be on $30,000, which your mortgage payment on that, mm, 25, like 150 bucks, right? 150 bucks. Um, you know, if your interest rate goes up by 200 bucks, the saving of the 30,000 doesn't matter much. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, what are you looking at your home as? Are you looking at it as a short-term investment you want to flip? Or are you looking at, at it as the place you want to be for the next, you know, five to 10 years? Yep. Because if it's the latter, I do believe that trend is going to remain upwards. Yep. And um, there's something to be said to just getting where you want to go, right? What are you going to do? Like wait the 12 months and see how it shakes down and be like, all right, things have bottom out. So I'm going to buy now. Now interest rates are through the roof, but whatever, I'm going to roll with it. And I saved a bit of money on the purchase price, but I didn't get to live in that home for the last year. The one thing I'll point in there, you might get to be a little bit more selective. Like if you haven't seen a house totally. come up in the neighborhood you <clears> want, <throat> you might see it come up now. Yeah. So there might yeah. be a chance there to also get in and yeah. again, do it now because again, I really do believe in, so I think say you believe the same, it's going to continue to go again, and then you're going to be kicking yourself in the butt if you don't get into that area. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, I'm still, you know, I, I still believe there's all kinds of reasons to buy a home if it makes sense for your family. Go, it's a buy. Um, selling. Yeah. What are you telling people out there that are thinking of selling? So I'll do investors again. Um, honestly, investors never really ask to sell. Very, very infrequently are they asking to sell. It's some of them that feel like they're they're topping out the market might get an opportunity to do so, but. I don't, I don't necessarily see it as a sale unless you really need to sell. <clears throat> in general, I think you still have a, a lot, strong proposition. If you need to sell because it's not making you money and you can't, you're not interested in carrying it or you need that last little bit of lift out of it, then make the sale. You'll get a, you'll get a good price. But I honestly think that the values of, of rentals and good fundamentals, with good fundamentals, sorry, will continue to rise. So I don't think selling today, you're going you're gonna to look back and like, oh, I made the right decision. I think you'll look back in 10 years or five years and be like, I wish I, if I had the ability to keep that, I kept that. I mean, my answer is the same uh, as it always is when it comes to selling stuff. Don't sell anything unless you need that money and have a specific plan for that money to put it somewhere else that's going to return a higher investment. Yeah. Why would you sell anything if you didn't need to? Yeah. Right. The only reason to sell something is because it allows you the freedom to do something even better. Yeah. And you wouldn't have that without selling it. That's the only time ever to sell as an investment property. Yeah. If you want to get more nuanced, um, there's a lot of small scale multis out there right now, like like little yeah. little guys, and and those aren't doing great in the market right now. Yeah. Um, because the buyers for those are more likely first, you know, young people starting out. I thought they were doing good. They were for a while. Like I thought the price, per, have you been finding it recently? It's been kind of getting Oh, man, the market was saturated for a while with them. Hopefully it's coming back around here. But there was yeah. one point in time where they, like, they dumped like 30 of them on the market in two weeks. and Yeah, that, that definitely had an impact well, on the things. Right now. Um, next question. Yeah. Let's get this one. Fixed or variable? I'm a huge variable person. Again, I'm speaking as an investor. I always go variable for the simple fact that if you're going to be making moves <clears> and you never know when you're going to make moves, whether it's a refi or you need to sell or whatever it may be, if you do fixed, you're going to get hammered. Like you're going to get hammered. And so I always go variable for that option. The only time that I'm going fixed is if I'm like long-term, I've done the whole renovation, the rents are capped out, I'm not touching this property for another five, 10 years, then I'll go fixed and I'll try and do like a CMHG product at a low interest rate 
So I would I would still say go with that path. But like there's a lot of talk of the rates coming back and cooling off by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like I don't I'm not necessarily as super rate sensitive as maybe I should be. But I don't feel that the half point on for most investors is going to be the make or break. Yeah. Okay, fine. If you have $100 million or $200 million, it's not gonna be make or break, but it is a massive amount of money. But I don't I don't foresee it for a lot of people being enough that it really should be the difference maker. And I think there is some merit in taking a fixed even right now. So you finish the property, you have it stabilized, <clears throat> taking a fixed might give you some some strength. And if you really believe that they're going to go down, do a one year. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you if you're still working on a property or you just bought it or you plan to do something with it or you you plan to make a move in the next year and you don't know that you might need some extra capital, do a variable. Well, there's a couple of things that I look at. One, I'm variable as well. I said this on another episode or the next episode like I wanted to get a hoodie made up that says I'm sticking with variable. Um, when the banks set their rate relative to the Bank of Canada overnight rate and all that and they add their speculation and their meat on that bone for yep. those fixed rates, right? They say, okay, looking at the trend of where this can go, we've got to push up to try to account for the fact that um, in the next few years, if things continue on this trend, like there could be higher rates. I happen to think that, so they're effectively building in the speculative um, 3%. The um, red eggs coming. Yeah, they, they, they kind of have already built that into today's pricing. Yep. And I think even if we push up against that, so the Bank of Canada rate right now is I think 1.25. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's higher than this. No, I think it's 1.25. Um, but there's speculation that it could go to three. So the banks out there, they're not dumb. They're looking at that and saying, all right, so you're telling me this bank candle rate could go up to there. We need to build that into today's posted fixed rates. I think if we go up anywhere close to that, uh, we're going to pull back shortly thereafter, right? So I feel like they're building in that premium uh, on these rates right now, and they're going to continue to do so. But I do think that long term, uh, weathering this initial storm, the remaining years of your term, which might be two to five years, Right, like you can see the benefit of the variable rate. In response to that, though, I think the banks play some trickery, <gasps> and so you'll no, yeah. I, who would have thunk? Who would have thunk it that the multi-billion-dollar corporations, oh, if not trillion-dollar right. corporations, yeah. have some games being played? But I feel like they will bait people. They're like, well, a two years two percent, and a three years six, and you're like, what? And so you're like, oh, obviously I'm gonna do a two year, no big deal. But I think that's them speculating that in two years the rate's gonna be enormous and like way higher. So when you go to renew in two years, you're gonna get hooped. Like, I feel like they bait you with certain term lengths because sometimes the rate growth doesn't make sense on those fixed mm-hmm. at all, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I'm like, they're trying to fix you into a certain period and line you up basically for failure. Like, they're trying to line you up with when rates are high. So when you hit your renewal, you have to take that expensive money. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, you can cushion yourself, but that's what they're thinking. They're betting on rate increases being substantial two years from now that maybe again variable. And they can choose mm-hmm. where the rate increases are going to be. Like, at the end of the day, they're saying, look, a ton of people are going to want to lock their rates in right now because what's going on. So they're having a shitload of people come in right now, lock their rates in. So mm. they can push. They can be like, all right, we basically know that we have 4 million mortgages that are going to renew in the year of 2026. Right. And they can yeah, project yeah. to have their rates be up a <clears> few points. Point. So yeah. they can pre-project basically how their income growth is going to expect. They can say, okay, yeah. out of that, we're going to lose 20% of our customers because <laughs> the rates are higher. But because we pumped it up this much, we're actually going to end up making this much more money. Yeah. So try and do your own, I think, your own the take other thing, before your advisor at the bank gives it to you. Yeah, the other thing that some people, they're panicking about their, their variable rate. Different lenders do different things, but some of the major lenders in Canada, they fix your payment regardless of your variable rate. Mm-hmm. So say you, you have a variable-based product, 
uh, and your mortgage payment is, I don't know, 1500 bucks a month, just for really easy numbers. Mm-hmm. Early days, you might be like 750 principal, 750 interest. You know, Good old days. Right? Like where it's, it's, it's half and half. As that rate creeps up, they are going to keep you at $1,500, but your principal might shrink down to like $550 and your interest payment creep up to $950, but your actual month-to-month um, won't change with some lenders. So there's another reason to be like, all right, if you are leaning towards variable, you also kind of want to hedge your bets a little bit, shop around, get a variable product that actually fixes the payment, just not the weighted between the principal and the interest. So We are non-financial advisors. No, consult your mortgage broker, man. We know nothing. Consult your mortgage broker. Yeah. But just obviously do a little bit of background research yourself and not to hate on bank advisors, but they work for the bank. They work for the bank. Yeah. So advice might be slightly skewed. Yeah, yeah. And and even whether they know it or not, right? Like they just have the options of the products in front of them and and they don't necessarily know uh, if there's any you know, rationale behind it. But all right, all right that's Finish everything up. for today. Again, last chance. If you've listened this way, you obviously like it. So press the like button, <laughs> press the subscribe, whatever, all that stuff. If you can share it with someone, we really appreciate it. Well, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening, everyone in support. It's amazing. A few guys saying hi out there when we're out walking around. Super fun. Pumps us up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to hear something in specific, let us know. Keep shooting us messages. You guys have been great about it. Like I've said it on the last couple episodes more and more messages are coming in and we love it. If you think there's someone you want to see as a guest too, I think that'd be interesting. Yeah. Shoot us a message. If we get a few people who say like, we want to see this person on there, we'll try and reach out and see by some chance if we can bribe them on with a sweet boxing rock mug to come yeah. on and, and <laughs> chat with us. So the wanderers. Exactly. Thanks and, again. Uh, listen guys, keep that big deed energy up. I was going to, I was going to make a comment <laughs> about the deed, but I'm just avoiding it. I'll see you in the corners. Oh gosh. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.